King's kids, you're dismissed. King's kids, second grade on under, we've got junior church ready to roll. They are ready to handle you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Got it. Couple of uh, quick announcements. All the teenagers that are going to camp have filled out some prayer request cards. Uh, at the end of the service, I'll have a teenager by this door over here. Helena, did you get Gray's from him or does he still have? Did Gray leave his prayer cards over there? Does anybody see a stack of cards? Hand those to Matt. <clears throat> Matt, you'll be in charge of that door at the end of the service. Helena will be in charge of that door. On your way out, they're not going to be handing these out. They're going to be standing there. And if you want one, you can get it. It has the name of a teenager, uh, their grade, their prayer request, and you can remember them while they are at camp. Thank you for the generosity that has been poured out for the teens in the last week. We are making up a lot of, a lot of money. So thank you for your generosity. We, we continue to promise you don't have to buy anything from us. We will not sell you candles, candy bars, car washes, wreaths, nothing. You keep paying for camp like this, and, and we're, we're going to all be friends. <laughs> you don't have to be regifting a bunch of stuff. And on, we've, we've learned on those fundraisers, you know, you sell something worth 10 bucks, you earn like a buck. Like, you, you want more candy bars? Uh, now, the youth room has some candy for sale at all the time. I make the teens buy candy from me. We don't just give that away. It slows them down. That's the way it works. Same with the sodas. See, we don't usually hand out sodas, charge you for it. Because then you're like, oh, I've only got 75 cents. And you're only getting one Dr. Pepper, honey. Now, sometimes they bring a 20 and I got to intervene. Intervention. Okay. I had a kid bring a 12-pack of soda to camp one time. They were gone the first day. He was a buzz. He crashed pretty hard, but yeah. Kids be kids. Don't be shocked. <clears throat> Turn your Bible to Proverbs chapter 9. We are, let's see. Do we have the wireless mic back there? Where's Miss? Yeah, I'm going to need that. I forgot. To, I need you to deliver. Special delivery. That way I don't have to make Miss Pat climb the steps. She'll be reading Proverbs chapter 9 for us. <laughs> yeah, she's got teacher voice, this is for sure. <clears throat> well, we weren't going to go there. Don't give us the teacher eyeball, we'll be in trouble. Ready? Yep. Okay. Proverbs chapter 9. In my uh, revised standard version, it calls it Wisdom's Feast. Wisdom has built her house, she has hewn her seven pillars, she has slaughtered her animals, she has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servant girls, and she calls from the highest places in town. You that are simple, turn in here. To those without sense, she says, come, eat my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Lay aside immaturity and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer wins abuse. Whoever rebukes the wicked gets hurt. A scoffer who is rebuked will only hate you. The wise, when rebuked, will love you. Give instruction to the wise, and they will become wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will gain in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For, me, for by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The foolish woman is loud. She is ignorant and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the high places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. You who are simple, turn in here. And to those without sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But they do not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. God, as we turn to your word this morning, help us to understand it. Help us to see ourselves in this chapter, for good or for bad. Help us to be honest about the state of our heart. 
whether we are wise or whether we are foolish. Train us, teach us, show us that you always have a better way to live than we can ever plan or imagine. We need you, God, to be our wisdom, our insight. We need to marry ourselves to you. Remind us of that today in Jesus' name. Amen. You have to pencil in your own title this week. Proverbs 9, the title is Two Banquets. You are being invited to two banquets, and you can't go to both. Or at least you shouldn't try to go to both. And you shouldn't even want to go to both. Entirely different ways of living. Because it's not really about banquets. These are two ways of life. It says banquets, but it's, it's ways of living your life. And it's not just a short-term banquet. It, it's a feast. It's something you're supposed to give a lot of time to. It, it's a commitment. Two ways of living. Two ways you can live your life. Two ways you can think. Two ways you can raise your kids. Two ways of how you can handle your finances. Two ways of how you can handle your sexuality. This is the last chapter before we get to Proverbs 10. And we start seeing the way of the wise, the way of the fool. And it starts peppering you with a lot of wisdom. But remember, this is not just a list of ways to live. Proverbs. It's about the state of your heart. Proverbs 1 through 9 so far, we have encountered 10 speeches from a father to his son. It's a royal family, so it also includes not just his son, but it's from a father to his future sons. Sons, if we are going to maintain the promises that God gave to David, our dad, we need to fulfill the covenant. God didn't just say, you're going to be the king's done. I will be with you, God said, if you will be with me. There were parts of the covenant that are unconditional. David, you are eventually going to have a son who rules everything eternally. But when God talks to Solomon, if you'll build this temple, if you'll follow my ways, if you will love me, then I will make you fruitful and I will multiply you. Just like I promised, not just to David, but to Abraham. They have a very specific family promise. Not all these promises are directed at us. We have to glean some general observations from these Proverbs and from this wisdom. This is the last speech from a dad to his son before we get into Proverbs proper. All little one-liners, it's coming. Last week was a two-chapter comparison between Lady Folly, chapter 7, and Lady Wisdom in chapter 8. And they're both calling us to join them, to marry ourselves to one of them. This week, it's one chapter that calls us to open our heart and our minds to Lady Wisdom. Now, if you'll notice... Uh, most Bibles have this sectioned off into three sections. You've got verses 1 through 6, Lady Wisdom Calls. Verses 7 through 12, a contrast with the wise man and the wicked man. And then 13 through 18, Lady Folly. So you've got the normal comparisons we're used to at the first six verses, the normal comparison contrast we're used to at the last six verses. What's unusual is, it's in one chapter, and you've got this section in the middle. It doesn't seem to fit all the other chapters. All the other chapters, have been, they've been bantering. Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly, Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly. This, this way gets Lady Wisdom. Look at how these guys are living. And then Lady Folly. It, it, it's organized differently to capture our attention. And remember Solomon, though he wrote all of this, he did not organize all of this. Keep your finger right there and turn to Proverbs 25. Turn to Proverbs 25, just real fast. 
Proverbs 25, verse 1. This section of Proverbs from 25 onward says, These also are Proverbs of Solomon. Okay, why are you saying that? I knew they were. Which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied down. Hashtag and organized. Hezekiah is um, the 13th king after Solomon, almost 200 years after Solomon. And he organizes the Old Testament a lot. He and his scribes organize a lot of the Old Testament into the order we have it today. I tell you that because other kings who were following God helped organize Solomon's writing. Solomon wrote a lot more than we have in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. That's a, it's a sampling. And so why, so in today's, what I'm seeing, what I'm, what I'm feeling is, Here's the usual presentation by Lady Wisdom. Here's the usual presentation by Lady Folly. And smack in the middle, you have Hezekiah's or Josiah or Jehoshaphat, pick one of the righteous kings, inserts this little section on the wicked man and the wise man because that's how they see it working out. Not all the kings are going to be following wisdom. So what does it look like when you don't follow wisdom? Some of the kings do repent and follow wisdom, God's laws. What does it look like? That's what 7 through 12 is showing us. So write this down. Verses 1 through 6, an invitation to Lady Wisdom's banquet. An invitation to Lady Wisdom's banquet. She's built her house, her seven pillars. She slaughtered her bees. She's mixed her wine. She set her table. She's waiting. She's calling. And then that concludes, verses 13 through 18, is an invitation to Lady Folly's banquet. She also has made preparations. She's sitting at the door of her house. She's calling the same crowd. Remember from last week? The same invitation. The same basic things. You're going to encounter both of these options in your life. But the contrast that's going to, where we're going to focus today is verses 7 through 12. And 7 through 12 contrasts the mindsets of the two banquet guests. What does it look like if you're the kind of person who sits down with Lady Wisdom? What does it look like if you're the kind of person who turns in? To Lady Folly's door. So there's the contrast, and um, different commentators and different Bible commentaries kind of struggle with this section. But I think if we step back and we remember that it was put together afterwards, even though it's it's kind of choppy, and even in the language, it's smooth, it's smooth, and like chunk. Like this seems like more of the traditional wisdom here, seven through twelve. Why is that there? Why interrupt another contrast between? Wisdom and folly because this is what it looks like in your mind, in your heart, in your life when you choose one of these options. So we're going to spend some time looking at that. Wisdom offers, write this down. Wisdom offers the way of insight. That's in verse 6. Leave your simple ways or your immature ways or your unproven ways. Don't trust yourself. And don't learn everything the hard way. Live and walk in the way of insight. Lady wisdom, God's wisdom, is inviting you to a path that God has laid out that is the best. And verse 17, Lady Folly offers stolen water and secret bread. Stolen waters and secret bread. I'm feeling like these are euphemisms for adultery and prostitution. Way back in uh, chapter 5, verse 15, stolen water is sweet. Lady Lady Folly says that. In chapter 6, 25, the price of a prostitute is a loaf of bread. So mixing these, these figures of speech, what does it really mean? The way of insight is a long enjoyable feast that you sit down at enjoy the company of the people and you eat 
for hours. Sign me up. Sounds like a Super Bowl party to me. <laughs> Lady Folly. It's exciting to have a drink of stolen water, but you only get a loaf of bread. The contrast in these banquets is very startling when you think about what they are actually offering. A long, meaningful conversation, relationship, or a quick fix. Isn't that kind of how you boil most sin? Most sin, most transgression, most, most things that we do wrong boil down to that. It's not it just God's way is slow and steady, and the flesh wants quick and easy. Here's the contrast. Human independence rejects God at every turn. So let's read through verses 7 through 12 again. Verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury or brings injury upon himself. So wicked people are seen to fight truth fight correction and fight change they're, they're always bristling up against anybody or anything that is against their way their mindset even to the to the effect verse 7 of you're getting yourself you correct a scoffer they're not ready for it they're going to abuse you verbally physically they're going to lash out it doesn't go well when you try to correct the mindset of somebody who has chosen to live foolishly, you will incur injury. They, la they do not, now check yourself for just a second. When somebody presents the truth to you, tries to correct you, or tries to encourage you to change something in your life, what is your natural reaction? Don't say this out loud. Because most of you, you're offended. That's a natural response. You're offended. And instead of addressing the issue, most people attack the person who's trying to correct them. Most, there's almost no such thing as constructive criticism. You're constructing a war. You're constructing a battle. It, it, it's, we don't like to be corrected. Swallow your pride. Step back. Listen, think, shut your mouth, think, evaluate, take a deep breath, and don't do that. Wicked people are constantly, the mindset of the fool is to constantly lash out whenever they are told they are wrong. Don't be that way. Slow down think because there may even if it's 99% wrong there's probably an element of truth in the criticism and you can use it for good and you can use it to change and if nothing else you can learn about human nature from them even if they're 100% wrong and you learn to diffuse a situation there's so there's so much positive that can come out of it when you are corrected that's but that's not what the fool or the wicked or the follower of folly is going to do. It's the natural response of the scoffer is, is to lash out. <sighs> Verse eight, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Verse eight, fools hate authority. The wise love learning. Fools hate authority the wise love learning. A lot of our society tries to avoid confrontation and we pay a high price in taxes to roll that confrontation over onto others. We have a problem we call the police. We have a national problem we call the military. We, <laughs> we pay a high price so that somebody else can do the, the serious confrontation. That's, that's the way we tend to roll. 
And it's because we know it brings out the worst in people. But it shouldn't. We should be a people who are trusting in God to the point that we are married to God's wisdom. That makes us wise. And when we are reproved or rebuked or corrected, the end of verse 8, it, it's the opposite of hating people. It's loving people. You see that contrast? The wicked are rebuked and they hate. The wise are rebuked and they love. That's not, that, that, that is not a knowledge game. That is a heart change. Wisdom makes us a people who are able to even love our enemies if they're the ones rebuking us. This is not like, you know, just, this is not, this is not a parent rebuking their son. This is a coworker. This is a boss. This is a stranger. This is an enemy. And the wise learn to love them. That's crazy talk. Sounds a little bit too much like Jesus to be in Proverbs to me. Jesus isn't repeating anything new. He's not making up stuff in the New Testament. One of the things that blew everybody's mind about Jesus was, oh yeah, he's reminding them of everything God has already told them of. But then he lives it. He has married himself to the purpose of God the Father and he lives out perfect wisdom. He's wisdom in the flesh. He's not just saying these things because that's, that's what Solomon's kids are hearing, right? Wah, 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 wah. Okay, dad, you didn't do that. Wah, 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 wah. Okay, dad, whatever. Because like, that's how kids hear us. <laughs> it's, it's not working. Look at yourself and make sure you're not always bristling against authority, anybody who tells you you're wrong. You're not always pushing against the man or the machine, but you are of the mindset that you are willing to learn, you are willing to listen, and you're slow to anger, slow to reaction. Slow, slow down. Verse nine, give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So wisdom seekers are open to change as they grow. Wisdom seekers are open to change as they grow. Change in themselves, that's necessary. Our bodies are gonna fail, our minds are gonna fail, uh, finances fail, homes fail, cars fail. You, the older you get, the more you realize, well, that's just the way it is. You get used to it, and so you roll with it sometimes, or do you? Or do you roll with it by griping at everything? You become angry at everything. Be careful. Those who are wise grow and they change accordingly, according to God's word. If you're seeking wisdom, you're the kind of person who, who has married themselves to wisdom, you are open to all kinds of changes as they grow. I don't think this church would be here if our older generations hadn't been open to changing our name, to changing our constitution as we grew, as we grew older, even as a church. You have to change with some stuff. Doesn't mean we're sacrificing. Have we sacrificed any biblical principles along the way, Bruce? No, not that we know of. It's just a sign. We, we try to stay true to the word, but there is an element of our faith that is going to change on how we live it out according to different generations. How do we, how do we talk to the next generation that's coming up? It's really important. Wisdom seekers, we change with. Now, we're not changing with the world into the ways of the world. We are changing the way we bring the same gospel truth to a changing world. Arguments that worked 10 years ago don't work today. Illustrations we may have used last month aren't appropriate to today. We can illustrate the truth, we can give examples of the truth, and we can preach the same truth to different generations. And that's part of the insight that wisdom gives us. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes, there it is again. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. 
We've talked a lot about the fear of the Lord. I've put uh, a little blurb in the, the sermon discussion guide. If any of you want to look at that online, sermon discussion is going to challenge you to explain the fear of the Lord in your small group this week. The fear of the Lord. I like that second half, though. The knowledge, the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And verse 6 Lady Wisdom says, walk in the way of insight. So it's going back to that idea of the knowledge of God leads to a pathway or a way of life or a way of walking out your life that is leading you in God's paths. That's the tie there. The fear of the Lord, I've got it. Are you living it? It leads to insight. It leads to walking and living your life in a certain way. A banquet mentality. Remember, this is not about banquets, it's about living life, but that's the figure of speech, that's the metaphor. Are you living with insight? <clears throat> insight, purpose, and meaning. That's what wisdom provides. And I, I want to call that character. Wisdom provides insight, purpose, and meaning, but not temporary. Not just insight on a situation here, a situation there. Not just, here's a purpose for today and here's a purpose for tomorrow, but here's a purpose for your entire life. Not just meaning in this. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Meaning on everything to give God glory, to bring God praise, to make God great. And that way of absorbing wisdom, walking in the way of wisdom, fearing the Lord, changes your character. Changes all of you not just a small part of you. Verse 11, she has snuck back into the text. This is, this is Lady Wisdom speaking again. For by me, like wait a minute, there's all third person. Where did, who's this me? It, it's, it's Lady Wisdom again, the one who started talking in verse four. She snuck back in, verse 11. For by me, Lady Wisdom, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. First, step back. General observation. If you live a life according to the basic principles of the Bible, in general, it's healthy for you. You're not a glutton. It's healthy for you. You're not sexually abusing yourself and others, not exposing yourself to a lot of diseases. It's healthy. Living the life of wisdom can extend your life for a long time. General observation. That's what we get from that, general observation. But there's a very specific promise here because a very specific promise was made to Solomon, his sons, the sons of David that if they will keep these words of the law, God will supernaturally give them long lives. So we, you and I cannot come to the Proverbs and say, God, I kept the Proverbs. You better give me 80 years, maybe 90. You owe it to me. You've promised it to me. No, he hasn't. He promised that to Solomon and the sons of Solomon if they kept the covenant because God wanted them to, be, have, to rule and reign as good, steady kings for long periods of time because they were building a nation. We are not building a nation. We are building a church. We are the body of Christ, not building a kingdom. His kingdom is not here yet. It's invisible. It's being built, being orchestrated, but it won't be real until Jesus comes back. Different kingdoms, different promises, different applications. So write this down. Verse 11, general observation, that's for us. But what it means for Solomon is fruitful multiplication. Fruitful multiplication. This goes all the way back to God's intention for mankind. In Genesis 1:28, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. God wanted them to have kids, to have grandkids, to have great-grandkids, and spread out the Garden of Eden lifestyle to the rest of the earth take dominion as they walked with God as their kids walked with God God's kingdom the garden of Eden where heaven met earth God's presence 
would spread out over everything forever. That's changed. Matthew 28, before Jesus leaves, he doesn't tell us to be fruitful and multiply. We do not expand God's kingdom by having kids. Jesus says, make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them all the things I've taught you. That's how we expand the invisible kingdom. It will include discipling and evangelizing your kids. But how do we expand God's family now? Does the world need more people? Not really. Does God's kingdom need more people? Always. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance and eternal life. We share the gospel so people are born again into this family. See how the language has shifted even? The mentality? That's why Nicodemus had a total disconnect with Jesus in John chapter 3. He's like, we're the children of God, we're the sons of Abraham, we're the Messiah is going to come through David's line, everything's going to be like this. And Jesus is like, you must be born of the Spirit and the water. Like, I, I really would like a t-shirt with Nicodemus' face on it at that point. I've, I think he was, he was thoroughly confused. We had to have been because Jesus says, are, are you not a teacher in Israel and you don't know these things? There's, there's some lighthearted humor there too. You don't, you don't know what I'm talking about and you're the religious leader? No wonder you're talking to me. Jesus went deep real fast. You must be born again. For God so loved the world and he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Not, not believe in Abraham, not believe in Isaac, Jacob, Solomon, David, not believe in, believe in the only begotten son of God. That is it. He's come into the world not to judge the world. The world's already judged. He's come that we would be set free. He has come that we would be born again into a new kingdom, a kingdom that will never perish, to a reward that will never fade, to a future that will never diminish, a kingdom and a hope that lives forever with God. Solomon is tapping into some of that. It's there, but not all of it. Verse 12. If you are wise... You are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The most enigmatic phrase in this passage. <laughs> like, what did he just say? If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. I didn't find any translations that made that clear. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Um, Here's what I think it means. Write this down. Your character is not inherited, loaned, or escaped. You're going to have a character. It's going to be wise or it's going to be foolish. And you don't inherit it from your family. You can't. Your character is not based upon 100% your family. They may have some influence. They may have some pressure. Society might have some pressure. But you have to bite the hook yourself. You have to choose. You don't inherit it. And it's not loaned to you. It's not something that's temporary. Character, wisdom. You're feasting with lady wisdom or you're feasting with lady folly. It doesn't mean somebody from... One table can't go over here and, or, or while they're here, act like somebody over there. Because some foolish people can act wise sometimes. They can have a real acumen uh, concerning finances or counseling. And they can be really good at their field or science or math and look wise but still be foolish. And there are a lot of people that have married themselves to Jesus that act like fools sometimes. They're sitting at the banquet and they're abusing something. They can still be an addict even though they're at the right party with the right post. We still have decisions to make wherever we place ourselves. But when it comes to character, 
You can't loan it to somebody else, nor can you borrow it from somebody else. It's you. It's your way of living, your way of thinking. And you can't escape the consequences. If you're living like a fool, if your character is that of a foolish person, you can't avoid the inevitable. God will hold you to account for that. You can't escape it. The proper fear of the Lord makes us a people who are correctable, teachable, and untouchable. When we fear God properly, which means we rejoice and we tremble, He is terribly good. In all of His splendor and His holiness, which is good, we fall at His feet as dead. He's so good, it's scary. He's so wonderful, our hearts will melt. He loves us so much, it gives us goosebumps. The depth, oh, the depth and the riches, the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment. No man can fathom his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord or offered him any counsel? Paul launches into the glories of God many times over in his letters. We need to be correctable. I get that word from verse 7. It's the opposite of the scoffer. When you correct a scoffer, you get abuse. When you correct the righteous, they, they take it to heart. I get the word teachable from verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man. He will be still wiser. Those who are wise understand there's more to learn still. They're not arrogant. They're not proud. They're not stuck in the same way of doing the same thing forever. They're teachable. They can learn. They can grow. And I get the word untouchable from verse 12. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. Nobody can take it away. Nobody should be able to impact your wisdom. You're wise in and of yourself because it's not all about you gained it. It's about your relationship with God is strong enough that you are untouchable. You're wise for yourself. Nobody can derail you. Nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. You are thoroughly convinced that you are one with Jesus and you are living with Him and nobody's going to stop you from believing. Nobody's going to make you repent of that turn away from him correctable teachable untouchable as opposed to being selfish self-centered and self-absorbed yeah many of the sons of Solomon actually all of the sons of Solomon can turn to chapter 9 and pick who they are I think that's why Hezekiah or Josiah or Jehoshaphat or the scribes organized it like this later. All of Solomon's sons can turn to chapter 9 and summarize their lives. All of them. Oh, snap, I went to the wrong banquet. Or yes, I'm embracing Lady Wisdom. I'm walking in the way of insight of the principles and the wisdom and the knowledge and the presence of God. And they would go to the temple and they would make their sacrifices. They would confess and they would follow. Or they would build idols. They would enjoy stolen water and eat bread in secret places. Worshiping gods on every mountain, on every hill. Sacrificing their own children to idols yeah all the kings can be filtered through Solomon's words in Proverbs 9 some of those sons listened some of them when they read the law tore their clothes threw ashes on their heads and said they were sorry this is where the next sentence comes in in your outline and God delivered them as they feared him and adjusted their lives accordingly. Because God had specific promises for their kingdom, for their kingship, and how their kings would act. And God would respond, sometimes immediately, and wipe out an enemy army if Solomon's son as the king 
tore his clothes, threw ashes on his head, and knelt down in the temple. God would show up, whammo. Because they humbled themselves. They feared God enough to say, we are going to worship you in the middle of this war. Instead of worrying about how many horses we have, instead of trying to hire Egypt or, or troops from Syria, instead of, instead of, instead of, instead of, instead of, we're going to trust you, God. We're going to kneel down in this temple where you have promised us you will show up for us if we will give you our 100% attention and worship. And God did that. God would deliver them as they feared him. Let me turn the tables on you for just a second. Is your heart in the middle of your health, in the middle of your marriage, in the middle of your career, in the middle of your retirement, is your heart turned 100% towards God? If you feel like he's not fighting any battles for you right now, maybe it's because you're fighting those battles. Maybe you're trying everything within your power instead of looking towards his power. Doesn't mean you won't have anything to do and it doesn't mean you will be idle. What it means is your heart, your mind, your attention will be focused on God, his ways, so that if he wants you to do something, you do that first. Long before you do what you want to do first. God can still deliver us as we fear him and as we adjust our lives accordingly. This book of Proverbs is all about heart issues. It is not a list of how to live. It is a list of how to love. So I conclude by asking you, Will you marry yourself to God's will? Will you marry yourself to God's will and God's kingdom? This is Solomon's last plea to his kids before the book gets into the common Proverbs. Fools keep grasping for life on their own terms. The wise lay their lives out before God and ask Him to lead. The fool and the wise. And I see in Proverbs a path unfolding that we need to choose from. And it's less about, it's less about actions. It's less about principles. It's less about Proverbs and it's more about the character and nature of your heart. The Proverbs will not make sense if you are not spending time daily worshiping God, if you're not spending time daily praying with God, the Proverbs won't make sense. Sometimes the Proverbs contradict themselves on purpose in back-to-back verses. They will not make sense to your earthly way of thinking. They will not make sense if you are not correctable, teachable, untouchable. If you don't have a relationship with God, the rest of these Proverbs are gonna fly over the top of your head. And you're gonna grasp after some, oh, I need that for my kids. Oh, I need that for work. Oh, I need that. You're gonna miss the point. Fools are grasping after answers. The wise are laying down their lives and saying, God, lead me. That's the difference. You cannot come to this book with your preconceived religion and expect it to fix you. When this book is telling me God just wants you, be careful. Last line. The words of Joshua. Choose this day whom you will serve. Which banquet are you going to sit down at for the rest of your life? Will you dine with Lady Wisdom or will you seek a, seek a cheap thrill with Lady Folly? Grasping after something that's exciting, something that's tempting, something that feels good but is going to mold and sour very quickly. 
Be careful. Sit down at God's table. Be patient. Be slow. Chew, chew your food slowly. I'm not talking about what happens in about half an hour here. I'm talking about your spiritual life. It'll digest better. Move at the speed of God and God's wisdom. This is meant to be feasted on, not gorged. Not make you sick. Slice it, dice it, cook it, simmer it, stew it, crock pot it. Mmm. Let it become a feast. Not, you know, my lunch yesterday was Sonic with five dudes. Man, do we eat fast. Not, not a lot of talking, five guys at Sonic, I'll tell you what. It's burgers and fries. Uh, that's, that's, that's not what I mean. Stand with me. Let's pray about that. Praying about the way you're going to live the rest of your life. Young people, pay attention. God is asking you to live a wise life and it is going to look a lot more boring and slow than the rest of the world's going to paint. They want your life to look a certain way. They want your life to move at a certain speed. Slow down. Let God choose your path and do things God's way. It's going to feel slow. You're going to feel like you're falling behind. God can change your life for the good quicker than you can imagine. Bow your heads. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you this morning. We open our lives to you and we say, help us. Help us to walk the way of insight. Help us to even want to sit down with Lady Wisdom. We don't even know what that looks like. We've not seen it in everybody's lives around us. We may not have ever seen it in our own family. We don't know what a life of wisdom looks like. So God, help us understand. Give us an example sometime this week where you, God, remind us to slow down to be careful and to think about you before we think about ourselves. Give us a chance this week, God, to show self-control. Give us a chance this week to say no to sin and to say yes to faithfulness and righteousness. Help us to be on the lookout for it, whether it is in regards to uh, our job, our leisure time, what we click on, what we read, what we eat, who we spend time with. Open our eyes this week so we can be wise with our decisions and not foolish. And help us to understand more of this book of Proverbs as we dive deep in the next several weeks. We do not want to become religious hypocrites. Guard us from that. We do not want to use these proverbs in judgment on people who are not living the right way. We want you, God, to break our hearts over where we are not walking with you. Let that be the impact of our study and our reading of this book. Change us first. Convict us in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head down I will sing of the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful 
All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire in darkest night you are close like no other i've known you as a father i've known you as a friend i have lived in the goodness of god all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good with every breath that i am able i will sing of the goodness of god your goodness is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I will sing of the goodness of God She goes. Matt, take your spot on the way out if you want to pray for one of our teens while we are at camp. Uh, we'll be we're not leave for camp for a couple of weeks, but this will give you a head start. Thank you. Grab a card on your way out. Our benediction for today is from Psalm 73. It's verses 24 through 26. With your counsel you will guide me, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>